0: you know, Los Angeles or Miami or somebody comes in here and and they were worried about the weather. We didn't worry about it because we were in it all the time. We couldn't do anything about it. We knew we were going to play outside. We'd done it before. We've been successful.
1: Good evening, everyone. Welcome in. It's another edition of Skull Stories. I'm your host, Mike Wabschall, coming to you from Winter Park and coming to you with a great addition of Skull Stories. But first, a busy week with the Vikings in Winter Park. They're coming off a big victory that they got down in Jacksonville. The offense explodes a little bit. The defense does its thing, and special teams are sharp, and the Vikings get a victory. They have three more games to go. The next one is against the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday at U.S. Bank Stadium. And then it was announced earlier today that the Vikings are going to be playing in London next year. In the middle of the season, they'll go across the pond. They'll play a road game against the Cleveland Browns. So exciting times for the Minnesota Vikings. Exciting times includes a conversation with the most revered Viking of all time, Bud Grant. It was had by our very own Lindsey Young, who's a writer for Vikings.com. We call Lindsey the Bud Grant Whisperer because she's done so many great stories with Coach Grant, and Coach Grant always seems so willing to talk to her.
2: Yeah, well, first of all, I will accept that nickname. I like it. It's a good Uh, one, yeah. But no, Honestly, I consider it an honor every time I get to talk to Coach Grant. And I feel like even though I have talked to him several times, there's always something new that comes Mm -hmm. out and some interesting story that he kind of digs out of the archives, so that was really fun. You can't beat just some of the stories about coaching Jim Marshall and Fran Tarkenton and Mm -hmm. what that was like for him. But also this time we had some interesting stories too that were not even football related. So he talked a little bit about winning a championship with the Minneapolis Lakers, which is something that I think not a lot of people talk about at this point in time. Um, And then also he he told us the, the real story behind a little crash landing that he took a couple years ago on a hunting trip so we'll hear about that too it's a pretty good story
1: unbelievable lots of good stuff coming up here uh, from lindsey and legendary vikings head coach bud grant a hall of famer you're gonna enjoy this here's part one of lindsey's conversation with bud grant
2: So, Coach, the last interview that I did for this radio show was with Jim Marshall, and he talked about playing under you and all the things that he learned from you as a coach. And I'm wondering if you can just share with us the type of player that he was and what you saw in Jim that made him such a talented athlete.
0: Well, I first saw Jim Marshall play uh, in Saskatchewan. He had gone to Ohio State and had dropped out of school and had signed with the Saskatchewan Roughriders. Uh, I saw him on film. I was coaching at at that time, and I said, who in the world is that guy playing up there? Well, he played one year, and then he came down here, went to the Browns, came to to the Vikings. Uh, When I got here, Jim was here, of course, and uh, very quickly I could see that he was a leader on the team, so we made he and Mick Tinglehoff our captains, and they were the captains for their whole career. Uh, Many times people ask about, you know, who are your best players or who are your, you know, who? And you don't have best players because you're beholden to so many of them. Uh, I put Jim Marshall in the category of a special player. Uh, he was a leader, but and on top of that, he led by example. Uh, he was uh, had the greatest ability of any player maybe we had on the team, and that was his durability. Uh, Jim played 19 years, I think it is never missed a practice never missed a game uh, had multiple minor injuries that he played with uh was a, was a leader on and off the field in the meetings and at practice and uh, a special player had great talent uh, a lot of players have the physical ability to do things but jim had the uh the drive the desire the durability to play and was not only a Special player. He's a special friend of mine to to this day.
2: How often do you guys, you know, still see each other, and do you still talk about those days? Or
0: well, you don't relive the past too much, <laughs> uh, but you know, I see Jim, and and uh, uh, you know, he's around. He lives in town, which is a a, a good thing, and so he gets to an events, and and both he and I are getting older. That's the that's our problems. We don't get around as well as we used to. Uh, but, uh, are there any events or he may drop in once in a while, talk to him on the phone. In fact, right behind me here on the corner there, he just brought me a cane. He says, someday you're going to need that cane pretty soon. So (laughs) he's pretty observant. Uh, so we stay in touch. Yes.
2: Well, one of the other players that, that Jim talked about, I know you've spoken highly of as well is is Fran Tarkenton and someone that's not still in town here, but you know, you have to have a great quarterback to have a great team. And and what was it about Fran that really made your guys' team at that time what it was?
0: Well, he had the same ability, and that's durability. Fran played many, many years and actually retired, I think, I don't know, I don't remember the numbers, but he had 20-some touchdown passes his, his last year of playing. <clears throat> he missed one part of one season when he broke his leg, he broke an ankle, but he came back and just as good as ever uh was a leader on the was a leader on the team and when friend retired uh he owned every record passing record i mean he owned most attempts most completions most touchdowns most yardage he owned every passing record uh in the n f l that's been surpassed by more than one quarterback since then but at at that time in his at his in his era he was uh the top quarterback in the national football league again the durability that he had Uh, allowed him to achieve greatness. And what holds true of any of your great players, uh, durability and the the ability to play week after week and accumulate uh, the experience and the records that these great players have, it's all because they played long time injury-free.
2: You know, and of course, Fran is in the Hall of Fame, and we have so many other great Vikings names that are in the Hall of Fame. And we were just talking about the Hall of Fame dinner that was at U.S. Bank Stadium recently. And I know Fran wasn't able to be there, but so many others were there. What was that like for you to sort of have that reunion of sorts? Well,
0: as you get older, of course, I think you you, uh, appreciate that type of thing a little bit more. Uh, It's nice to be remembered, but... uh, you know, we're all getting a little older and and we see one another periodically, but it's not like we work together anymore. Uh, So a gathering like that is always remindful of, you know, the great people that you've met along the way and to uh, break bread with them and be with them is it's it's a it's a great occasion and the vikings do a great job of maintaining that relationship with their with their alumni with their players not only all, not only the all-star and the great players but all the players and i think that's good it speaks well for the organization it speaks well for the ownership and it keeps uh, the vikings uh, in focus
2: it's been really great, like you said, to see a lot of the Vikings alumni that have been at current Vikings games at U.S. Bank Stadium. And I was just wondering what your thoughts are on the new stadium now that it's been open and you've been able to be there.
0: Well, I haven't heard anybody that has anything derogatory to say about the stadium. It's, it's beyond um, our—I uh, mean, you can, uh, we can enjoy it, but I don't think we can either, even appreciate what goes into that building that stadium or any edifice like that. Um, It's a beautiful stadium. It's, uh, uh, and looking at it from a fan standpoint, I mean, the seats are all good. The acoustics are good. The lighting is good. Uh, You know, it's comfortable. It's enjoyable to be there. It's enjoyable to get around. Uh, All the venues that you can visit inside the stadium uh it's it's really a stadium is not the right word, I don't think. I think we should call it an entertainment center is more than a stadium because there's so many things that can go on. And, you know, the eatery that you have there, the uh you know, it's really an enjoyable experience for anybody, you know, who who goes there for any event, not only football, but all the other events that it, it hosts. Uh it's it's a beautiful place and um it's gonna be there for You know, many years to come. Hopefully we can host a uh, championship flag there someday.
1: Skull Stories is rolling along, and we have more coming up after this break. But first, a programming note. Join host Mike Musman along with Terrence Newman at Draculas in Invergrove Heights on Thursday at 5.30 p.m. for a live broadcast of Vikings Country. You could win some great prizes, including tickets in the Miller Lite Lounge at U.S. Bank Stadium. Visit vikings.com slash vikingscountry for more info and a full schedule. And stay tuned for more Skoll stories next. Hey everyone, welcome back. More Skull Stories coming at you right now. Our conversation with Bud Grant will continue in just a second. But first, get your 2016 exclusive inaugural season gear at the Vikings Locker Room Store, open at US Bank Stadium. For novelty items and apparel, visit the official Vikings Locker Room Store at Mall of America, US Bank Stadium, and online at vikingslockerroom.com. That's where you can get cool Viking stuff to get cool Vikings information you can use the Vikings app. Another cool thing you can do on the Vikings app is you can enter to win some cool prizes. Scan your game tickets on the Vikings app for a chance to win big. All you have to do is link your tickets on the app and scan it in at the entry gates at U.S. Bank Stadium, and you could win tickets to Super Bowl 52, which will be held at U.S. Bank Stadium. You could also win 2017 Vikings season tickets or weekly autographed prizes thanks to the Vikings app. All right, more from Bud Grant right now.
2: One of the things that current players right now really love about the stadium is that it's indoors, of course, especially for a few of them who played at TCF the last two seasons and played outside in that cold weather. But, you know, you guys played outside in the cold all the time and had practices in the cold. What was kind of your mindset on that, on on practicing outdoors?
0: Well, we didn't have a choice. I, I, <laughs> given the choice, we'd have probably practiced indoors uh the one the one thing that I think we forget uh, we practiced outdoors in weather like we have uh in the late season um but the thing was you, you you didn't practice as long now we have indoor practices uh we have film we can take of the practices uh we have special uh uh group group practices that we can take certain groups and bring them in earlier or keep them later. A uh, kicking game can be evolved in indoors now. We didn't do all those things. We had to do it all at once, all together, all outside. So the curtail, we curtailed the practices a lot because of weather conditions. But the advantage that I think, uh, realizing later, we didn't wear the players out. Uh, it's a long season. Remember, they start in, in in late July, really in August, and now we're into you know into December and and even January if we get in the playoffs and that's a lot of just you could say well you're just standing around a lot but yeah but you're on a practice field and i think you can lose your legs you can lose your uh conditioning in terms of endurance and and uh, i think you'd lose a little bit <clears throat> if you practice too long i think one of the benefits we had we curtailed our practice at the end of the season every time a play a game came along we were pretty well uh, rested and in a good uh, physical uh, condition. I think they lose some of that now because they they want to film every every aspect of the game and practices may get a little long.
2: You might not have had a choice whether or not to practice outside, but since you did spend so much time outside and then by the time the games rolled around, we're so used to that as a team. Do you think that that was an advantage or made your players tougher than maybe opponents that they were facing?
0: Well, I think more mentally because we didn't worry about it. I mean, we knew what we were faced with playing home games where, you know, Los Angeles or Miami or somebody comes in here and, and they were worried about the weather. We didn't worry about it because we were in it all the time. We couldn't do anything about it. We knew we were going to play outside. We'd done it before. We'd been successful. So it didn't occupy any preparation or thought on our part. It may have occupied some of the other teams' time, uh, you know, worried about what they're going to wear and how cold it might be and how they're going to perform. We didn't have to worry about that. So that took that element out of it.
2: You know, I'm actually going to transition a little bit away from football. We talk so much about all of your accomplishments in football, but you really have such a unique story with also playing basketball, and we were just talking about your championship with the Minneapolis Lakers, and I'm wondering just what that experience was like.
0: I remember I'm an old man, you know, and growing up in this uh uh business we didn't make a lot of money in those days I mean it's all we made enough money to get uh, you know I made enough money to get married by a car buy a house have a family but you know we didn't put any away we didn't have any investments or anything like that so um it was, it was a little bit different and, and I played with the lakers uh we won championships and you know got to play in madison square garden and the coliseum and played a lot of you know venues all over across the country and that was a great experience Monetarily, it was okay, but it's not like what they're doing today. Uh, I was born too soon. I should be born now. Uh, aside to that, I played baseball, town ball, they called it, but they, before television, and a lot of baseball was our number one sport in, that, in those days, uh, more, more than football, more than basketball, because there was no television. And everybody grew up playing baseball. I mean, everybody knows the rules of baseball. A lot of people got involved in football that didn't even know the rule, but they enjoyed the entertainment. Uh, so baseball was was big and number two was boxing. Okay. Now we don't hear much about boxing anymore, but that was our number two sport uh, in the 50s and 60s. But I made I actually made more money playing town ball than I did playing with the Lakers. That sounds crazy, but uh, that only uh, points out that we didn't make a lot of money playing pro basketball. But I did make enough money playing baseball in the summer to double my income, actually, because I made more playing baseball in in town ball than I did playing with the Minneapolis Lakers.
2: That's very interesting. So then did that... Did that influence your decision to then move into football when you had a chance and kind of leave basketball?
0: Uh, no, I got hungry and uh, had to make a living. <laughs> and it, it turned out I was probably a better football player than I was a basketball player or a baseball player for that matter. So I could move up in the uh, money bracket and, and made more money playing football and had have and in a, if you're successful... Then, of course, you make more money. So I was able to you know reach the heights of what their pay was in those days. Near the end, I got a chance to coach. Well, that maybe another little bump. So, uh, it's, yeah, it's been a lifetime of sport.
2: Sure. You know, you talk about being successful in sports, and you've coached so many successful players. But one thing I know that you've talked about before that's important to you is the difference between sports stars and heroes. And I'm wondering if you can kind of explain that.
0: Well, you got to remember that sport is like any other entertainment uh like movies or you know we we are entertained by sport now we put a lot of emphasis on it we spend a lot of money on it uh the people who are movie stars or baseball stars or hockey stars whatever uh they you know earn their money but it does not leave any residuals i mean you're just you play and you go to the game and you have a good time and your team wins or loses and and whatever you get out out of the sport but uh, sometimes we put too much emphasis on these people who participate and, and call them heroes. Well, they're not heroes; they're stars. It's like in the morning when the sun comes up, the stars go away. You know, and and this, you go to a play and you watch the play and you enjoy it. That night you talk about it. You wake up the next day, but you know you got something else going on. But heroes uh, are a different category. I was raised during World War II. And our heroes were mostly military heroes or political heroes or uh, firemen or policemen or somebody that do heroic deeds. Football players don't do heroic deeds. They're stars, but they're not heroes. We don't want to make that. you got to make that distinction. My heroes are not football players.
2: Sure. Thanks for sharing that. You know, someone that maybe didn't play sports here in Minnesota but is just as much a legend, and I know that he's a good friend of yours as Sid Hartman, and I'm wondering if you can just kind of share about what he means to you and how your guys' friendships sort developed over the years.
0: Well, Sid's a, my uh, close personal friend that, that he refers to us as. I'm one of the first ones. Uh, but he's a very good friend. And Sid's, you know, a little, a little bit older than I am, not a lot. But uh, we've been friends for many, many years. And, um he's an institution in the state and you know if you mention Sid you don't have to include any last names i mean if you mention Sid in this part of the world i mean everybody knows who Sid is there's no there might be other sids out there but there's only one sid that all of us know and that's Sid Hartman uh an institution and a, uh i have to say one of my very best friends and you know we're both getting a little long in the tooth and we won't be around much longer but uh sid's been a great contributor to the sports scene in, in the Midwest here. Well,
2: I really appreciate you taking the time with us. I just have one question that I'm hoping we can kind of wrap it up with. And that's, I've heard stories that you crash landed an airplane on a hunting trip a couple of years ago. And I'm wondering if you can tell us what really happened that day.
0: I wish I knew. <laughs> uh, what was the experience? The, like? Well, we were going up hunting in, in uh, Canada and, we had a, a pilot that, that was a good friend of mine, a good pilot, had a good airplane. And and uh, when you fly um, you know, in a private plane, if you're in the cockpit, uh, there are a lot of instruments there. One of the instruments and one of the bigger instruments in the interior of the airplane is a red and a green light. The green light means when it comes on that the landing gear is down. And the red light is on, the landing gear is up. Which means don't land when the red light is on, and uh, that those are two of the biggest lights on your on your cockpit uh, dashboard. Well, we came into Saskatchewan or Regina, and we're going to land. Well, the green light is on, which means there's a button you push and or lever or whatever it is, and the landing gear goes down. Well, the green light was on. Malfunction. Okay. The landing gear was not down. So when we come in, lit on a cement runway in Regina, Saskatchewan we just all of a sudden we, we hit the ground and there were no landing light went down so we went sailing across of, of the uh, runway and sparks were flying and and the propellers coming apart and fortunately there was no fire and we walked away but uh, who knows how how or why they never figured out how that happened or why that happened only says it did happen.
2: Well, I guess the important question then is, did you still go on the hunting trip?
0: Well, yes, we had to. Well, we were all prepared to go, and we walk. We get out of the airplane. Now, how do we get to where we're going? We had to rent a truck and and go out to the western part of this uh, Saskatchewan. And then, but then the thing is, we didn't have an airplane to come home. Either. We had to drive that truck all the way back to Minneapolis from western Saskatchewan. That was. It's, it takes a little longer than flying.
2: Well, that sounds like just as good a place as I need to wrap it up, but I appreciate you taking time with us today, well, thank Coach.
1: You. Lots of cool stuff there, Lindsey. Great job. I guess if I had to pick someone in my life who would survive a plane crash, I would pick Bud Grant. He'd be like the most likely one to do it. And he did it.
2: Hands down. Which yes.
1: is an amazing thing. Um and there's probably a lot of things about Coach Grant that we don't know and most people probably don't know the plane crash story. Exactly
2: uh, and the fact that he, you know, continued to go on his hunting trip yeah. is just a very Coach Grant thing to do.
1: Well, this is I mean Coach Grant's a guy who um you know, he'll show up at the Winter Park parking lot and there there will be something that he has Um, that he has killed in a hunt, like, on his car. Like, that will happen at Winter Park.
2: Sounds about right. Right.
1: This is Coach Graham. So, lots of cool stuff there. Good job with the interview, Lindsay, as always.
2: Thanks, Bobby. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks for joining us. That's going to do it for this edition of Skull Stories. Lots of Vikings action, though, coming to you right here on the Vikings Radio Network. The Vikings and the Colts, they play Sunday kickoff, noon central time. Of course, the pregame show starts a couple of hours before that, so make sure you catch that. Mike Musman will be directing traffic for the Vikings pregame show. And then, of course, Paul Allen will have the call, along with Pete Bursich, Greg Coleman, and Ben Lieber, so make sure you don't miss that. On behalf of Lindsey Young and Skull Stories producer Nate Vaughn, I'm your host, Mike Wabshaw. This edition of Skull Stories is over. Have a good evening, everyone.